They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Two one in front, one there. Scramble for it, and they poke away at it. Still it's loose. Put that by Covington. They score! And three! It's over! Rogers is going to roll away. Throws it up in the air. Says a prayer. And Janice is on This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! It's over! And the Cubs have finally won it all! Welcome to Episode 7 of the Face-Off Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Lapin back for yet another week of scintillating sports talk. We still have to talk about the Syracuse basketball team. Uh, they're about to start the ACC Tournament. Uh, they have a game on Wednesday against Miami. Uh, they're the number nine seed. Syracuse is the number eight seed. Uh, exciting times in Orange Land. Yet will have come again, Mr. Jake Lapin. Yeah, following up a, I don't want to say must win, but pretty darn close to it against Georgia Tech. Absolutely. And we're going to go into that and more with a very special guest, uh, Sam Fortier, who uh, writes for the Daily Orange. He's the assistant sports editor, and he also writes from time to time with The Ringer. He writes for uh, Bill Simmons' website. Sam, welcome to the Face Off podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you uh, for being here. And uh, points to you for wearing the uh, the Kanye West dropout bear hat. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, hit, before he went off the rails and was like he just left that show in San Jose. I was at his last show at the Forum in L.A. He got halfway through the set. And he was like, "Sorry, guys, my voice is uh, my voice is not not working." And he just walked off. There were some oh, very unhappy wow. people there. No, wow, man, we could have a whole like podcast on 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 Kanye. We we could definitely have a podcast about Kanye. Uh, Save that for your other podcast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, I have too many podcasts. Like I had a friend who asked me to do like a hip hop show. Like I can't do like a third one. I don't know. That's not fine. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Syracuse Orange basketball team. They had a big win over Georgia Tech over the weekend. Andrew White went off like a madman, 40-plus points in the victory. Look, I get it. Uh, coming into the school, uh, I noticed a lot of people at Syracuse are huge fans of Tyler Lydon. Uh, this guy has uh, prospects for the NBA. Uh, Sports Illustrated dropped a uh, their second edition of their mock draft. Uh, they have Lydon as a first-round pick. I believe uh, the Utah Jazz in their mock draft actually are the latest team to select him. The first one was the Raptors, but they have since traded that first-round pick. But I'm a fan of Andrew White. When Andrew White is on, that guy can shoot. And he went off in that game, getting the job done for Syracuse. Andrew White's been my guy. So I'm happy he went off, and hopefully in the ACC tournament he can find some more consistency. Hopefully he can find uh, more opportunities to score points. And I think they're a lock for that March Madness tournament. I've got a juicy nugget for you oh. on Andrew White. Okay. He had 40 points in 39 minutes against Georgia Tech. In his previous 120 minutes, which was the previous three games, because he doesn't come out unless it's a blowout. I'm telling you, it's, it's consistency issues. He had 31 total points, including seven versus Louisville. But in a game where they absolutely needed to win against another bubbly team, dude balled out, was missing. Every time he went up for three, he would drain it unless they fouled him because they knew he was about to drain it. He was unbelievable. My I was in the building. It was really one of the best shooting performances yeah. I've seen live. One of my favorite shots happened in the second half 
where uh, Syracuse immediately taking the pass off the inbound, throwing the ball up to, to Andrew White. Uh, he had a man a couple feet from him. They could have done their cycles and just passed the ball around, but Andrew White said, you know what, I'm just going to take this shot from this corner. Bang. That's what. That's a heat check. That's when you know, you know you're hot, you take your shot. Uh, Sam, any thoughts on uh, the performance of Andrew White and anyone else uh, from that Syracuse game against Georgia Tech? Absolutely. It reminded me of a year ago, Michael Benege and his senior day performance. My, ben- my Benege uh, now with the Detroit Pistons. Mm-hmm. He had a career-high 34 last year. And obviously, again, you see another career-high come out on Sunday, Saturday. And just the way he was shooting, you mentioned a heat check. I mean, Benege in the second half, they were up by eight points at that point, and he just kind of put the dagger in them, hit that, hit a three, and they coasted over NC State. So when I think of Andrew White's performance, obviously also him getting to the free throw line and scoring in other ways from beyond the three-point arc because you've seen throughout the season that can be his strength but also his downfall when he's not hitting from three like that home game against Louisville mm-hmm. to a 14 from behind the arc. What we saw was a more complete performance, and I kind of liked that it was a throwback to Benege the year before on Senior Day. It was great. And uh, White named uh, to the ACC third team, uh, along with uh, one player from uh, their opponent that are going to be playing on uh, Wednesday, Devon Reed. So uh, we'll have a battle of uh, all third team uh, ACC players. Uh, any thoughts on the Wednesday game? Miami. Uh, I know they played. I, I actually only caught one Miami game this year. They had a game against Duke. Uh, they can play. Uh, but Syracuse is coming into this. They have not won. I can't believe this. They haven't won an ACC tournament game. You've you've been at Syracuse longer than I have, Sam. What? How do you explain that? That's so weird. It's. I don't want to say a combination of bad luck. I would say the teams they've matched up against have not always been favorable. I mean, you get Pitt last year, and Pitt every player is like six seven, six eight, stretchy. You know, designed to beat the zone. So when you're facing teams like that, and obviously they had Jamie Dixon last year too, mm-hmm. I think it's been more of a – and then obviously you start the year 25-0 the year before. You kind of hit that rut coming towards the end of the regular season. I would say they've either peaked too early or they've faced like a weird matchup. It's definitely a weird thing because especially the Final Four run, two Final Four runs uh, in, the, in recent history and – it's it's a weird thing that they can't get over the hump in the conference tournament. I would say it's more of an aberration than a direct causation. Do you think Syracuse needs to win a conference tournament game to solidify their chances at making March Madness? They should be in, right? Ten conference wins, they should be good, right? I think they're fine. I think their resume is fine as is, but every win in Brooklyn from here on out would bolster that resume and probably improve their seating which is possibly in the double digits right now. That That's exactly what I, I would agree. You brought up the 10 wins. You go over 500 in the ACC, and we've heard all year the ACC is loaded. They could send so many teams. The ACC is loaded. Mm-hmm. You do that, you get above 500, especially rebounding the way that they had from that non-conference schedule, which was an abysmal showing. I thought, I thought in January this team was done. And John's does that. To people. Yeah, honestly, and the, and even that first loss on New Year's Day to Boston College, like he let up ninety plus points to the team that hadn't won a conference game in eighteen months. I mean, I thought they were done. But you you get to ten wins in conference. Um, you hit you you beat Duke. You beat 
you beat ranked teams. Three, you know, you beat three ranked teams. I mean, or three top ten teams. Yeah, as an unra- as an unranked team. I think I think they're probably one of the few teams. I thought the only team this year to do that. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that resume, especially we keep hearing about a weak bubble. I'm not sure how much I buy into that, but with mid majors not having a Monmouth of last year, say. I would say this team has done enough to make the NCAA tournament. It, it comes down again to the mid-major conferences, making sure those teams that would get the at-large bids take care of business in their own conferences. But also, I mean, just the beauty of playing in the ACC, like you said, he thought Syracuse was done. They get so many opportunities to beat good teams. I mean, if they don't have these three top ten win teams, then they, people would really start freaking out. But they took advantage of those opportunities and look the ACC is clearly the best conference in college basketball this year you got what 12 of the 15 teams at least on the bubble right now like Mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive how do we get Syracuse to uh, play as well as they did against Georgia Tech against Miami it's a hard question I don't don't want to say you need a transcendent performance from Andrew White again because I don't I don't think you're going to see that that was if he starts driving more like like he did you know creating contact getting to the free throw line the dude is a shooter the dude's a gamer mm-hmm. i think you see that i think you need a little more out of tyler lyden he's not been the tyler lyden you've come to expect the last 3 or 4 games but i would say i would say you know getting that solid production from andrew white and maybe getting a little more from tyler lyden cuz you know what you're going to get from battle you know you know what you're going to get from Gillen, but I think it's it's weird to say Tyler Lydon is the X factor because he really isn't because everybody knows who he is going in, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been up to that level as of late. Do you think it's just because teams have wisened up to the fact that one big reason why Lydon is effective is because of the fact he just kind of sits in the paint and the team more or less feeds him and then he gets his looks there. But when he doesn't get those looks, he's not going to produce nearly as much. And he also as good of a shot as he might have, he doesn't use it as often. Uh, do you think Leiden is a guy who probably should shoot a little more, or how else do you think he can show his effectiveness? Yeah, I would say shoot it a little more. I would say show a little more of, I mean, that's the thing that they project him to be is is a stretch three, right? Or maybe, you know, like little undersized stretch four. Right. Like maybe put the ball on the floor and take it in more. I mean, he's mostly hanging out outside or camping out in the paint. And I would say... You know, you haven't seen as much action on the ball. So if you run some plays for him there, I think that might be more effective. They try this thing where they get the ball at the free throw line to either Roberson or Thompson and then try to do the high-low pass to Leiden posting up inside. And all 30,000 people in the Carrier Dome, including the entire team they're playing against, know it's coming. It just it doesn't work that way. I wish Beheim could come up with something to creatively get him the ball in a situation where he could attack the basket because that's why he disappears. They don't have a solid foundation of getting him the ball. And I've seen the guy pump fake on more threes, you know, enough threes to feed a family. Like, <laughs> he's got to – they got to be – It's a lot. They got to work to get him involved. That's why he's been disappearing so often. But interesting enough, the last time they played Miami, which was a 15-point win, Leiden had a very good game, 20 points, 7 boards. So I think I think he'll show up, but uh, this team, man, it that was in the Carrier Dome, mm-hmm. they can't where win they've away. lost once. They can't win away uh, from the Carrier Dome. 
as well. They are two and ten away from the dome. That includes a couple of neutral sites, which this will be. Very early question about uh, Tyler Lydon. Do you think he stays for next season? I'm not even sure if he knows right now. Uh, I know Daily Orange beat reporter Matt Schneiman, who covers the team, talked to his dad last week before the game, and he said Tyler kind of shuts all that down. Uh, he's not on social media, obviously. He kind of blocks out all that noise, and that's kind of what he thrives on is is – I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to discuss this. They said a year ago they knew he wasn't ready to go bang with 240-pound power forwards. I don't know it off the top of my head, but, like, has he added that much muscles? he added that much weight since last season? I'm not sure. I, it, his game has definitely developed. He's definitely more well-rounded now. But do you think he's developed enough? Do you think he's ma- matured enough where he can go – accomplish that goal of hanging with 240 pound power forwards but also when you look at that i mean if i mean fine i'm judging off of of sports illustrated's mock draft but if you're getting looks as a first round player do you worry a little bit if your ceiling may actually rise is this as good of a time for you to to cash in on nba money as a first round pick because we've seen guys who stay in college you know the three four years and they have to get undrafted or their stock falls right so Maybe you, you see yourself as a – well, in the case of Leiden, he shuts that stuff down. But we've seen guys who realize, hey, you know what, I'm a, I'm a first-round pick. Or they, they seem to believe they're good enough for that. Look at a guy like Malachi Richardson, and they bolt, right? So, But we've also seen people with, whose stock has risen. Look at Buddy Heald. He was a second-round pick turned into a top-ten pick. It could go either way. But let me answer your question on Leiden with another question. Do you think Jim Beheim will be the head coach of Syracuse basketball next year? Answering Ooh. questions with questions. Hmm. That's a good question. Only because Jim Beheim knows that. I don't know. I don't know what's going through Leiden's head, but I know that if the guy who recruited me and has been coaching here for the last 41 years calls it quits, I'm tempted to head off to the NBA. You know, there's a lot of players on, on this year's team who are going to be gone after this year with all the transfer grads, so. Right, I think two, that I think that definitely players. I think that plays into to Beheim's mind. I think if they go on a somewhat successful run, you know, maybe make it to the second weekend, I I I think that would be enough for me to say, all right, time to time to take it to the next level. But I don't know what he's thinking. I have no idea. Very last question before we end off our Syracuse Orange basketball segment. Quick prediction for Wednesday's game versus Miami. Jake, we'll start with you. I think it'll be what we've seen from Syracuse away from the Dome so far. They'll get down in the second half by double digits, come back, make it very interesting, but ultimately fall a little short in the final couple minutes. I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, we've seen Syracuse do this for most of the year where they'll probably be out of it in the first half, and in the second half they find a way to pick it up. This is just one time where it won't work out, and they will still have not won an ACC tournament game. Sam! First year in the ACC, peaked too early. Second year in the ACC, didn't peak at all. Third year in the ACC, peaked very, very late. I think fourth year they're peaking at right around this, right around the right time. I think that buzzer beater against Duke. Uh, I think you know, handling Georgia Tech in the dome. Uh, that's not a. That's not a. Okay, you know, we won this on a buzzer beater. We we really handled this team. I think this team is playing well enough right now where. It doesn't matter. I think they could beat anybody on a neutral court, and I, and I don't think Miami is 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 a big enough challenge to stop them. Well, that's going to do it for our basketball segment, college basketball segment. Sam Fortier, 
uh, the assistant sports editor of the Daily Orange, freelance writer for The Ringer. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on Episode 7 of the Face Off Podcast. I appreciate you guys having me. I'd love to come back. Absolutely. I think we'll we'll find a way to get you back on for a future episode. Uh, Keep it locked here. We'll be right back with uh, some more talking points, or we're going to go on the NFL free agency. And uh, can you go 1v1 with a wolf? All this and more on the Face Off Podcast. Welcome back to episode 7 of the Face-Off Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Lapin here with you. Shout out to Jeremy Joshua behind the board producing as per usual. It's time for our segment where we talk about different talking points. We still haven't come up with a really cool name for it yet, but I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. I guess we can use talking points in the interim. Works for now. By episode 11 or 12, we'll, we'll come up with something. Yeah, we'll have like a fancy theme song for it. We'll have like someone making crazy drops for it. Maybe we can get Jeremy some... can record a jingle for us. Yeah, Jeremy. You think you can record a jingle for us, buddy? Jeremy? Jeremy says possibly. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk about the NFL free agency market that opens up later this week. Uh, we have a ton of names out there. Mike Glennon? You like Mike Glennon? Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback? Do I like him? Like, as a person? 14, he seems very nice. 14, sure. but do you, <laughs> would you like him enough to offer him $14, 15000000 million a year? Based on what I'm paying at Syracuse, I wouldn't offer him <laughs> $20 a year. <laughs> no. We need to stop overpaying these quarterbacks, man. That It's just, in sports, it's the most valuable position of any sport. And it's the supply versus demand is just simply outrageous. So if if you can ever find somebody who's even half decent enough, you got to grab on and hold on tight and take your chances. 21 games, uh, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, over 4,000 yards passing in 21 career games. He only played two games last year through a touchdown pass. I bet you he plays about that many this year, if I had to guess. He puts up those same stats, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions? No. Uh, depends who he's playing for. Like That's a whole different thing. The Jets? The 49ers? More on them in a minute. The Jets, it's probably 15 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Probably, yeah. <laughs> just because it's the Jets. That's just kind of how it works that, for their quarterback. And they've purged everybody. I mean, Brandon Marshall's gone, Darrell Rivas is gone, Nick Mangold is gone. The one quarterback in recent memory that had any type of success with the Jets is most famous for running into his own offensive lineman's butt and fumbling the football. And now he's backing up Dak Prescott in Dallas. Best seat in the house. We'll never forget you, Mark Sanchez. We will never, ever, ever forget you. You know, not to go off on a tangent here, but like, when Mark Sanchez, that third year of his NFL career, the first two years he went, you have to remember, he went his first two years in the league, AFC, AFC championship. championship game. Absolutely, dude. One of those gear, one of those years, beats the New England Patriots at Foxborough, and Bart Scott made can't wait <laughs> sideline reporter history. That's like can't wait. I'm a Jets fan. You realize like that's like that's like the highest point of my fandom as a Jets fan. Like that is like the the top moment. Like, I wasn't alive when the uh, the miracle of Joe Namath uh, happened. 
you know, 1970. No, I, my my biggest moment as a Jets fan is Mark Sanchez beating Tom Brady in a playoff game. And then the year after, Rex Ryan says, all right, we're going to give you the keys. We want you to do more. And then he just... Didn't they lose to the Patriots earlier that year, like 46 to 3 They got or destroyed that year. Yeah. I remember uh, I had a history teacher who was a huge Patriots fan. And the year the, after that game where the Jets in got Montreal? blown. Yeah, in Montreal? Not yeah. an Alouettes fan? Well, yeah, we're well, not nearly as big as Patriots. Okay. I'm sorry. CFL, I mean, as, as much as the CFL is a real big thing, you know, it's not as I much. The Alouettes could hang with the Patriots. Chad Ochocinco spent a year with the Alouettes. It was Absolutely. a fun time. No, but I remember this prof, uh, after the Patriots beat up on the Jets, right above my seat, I sat on this uh, this right-hand side of the classroom where there was this wall right next to me. He hung an article from that game right above where I was sitting. Oh, and man. like I couldn't take that down. So literally, I would just be at my desk, and I just looked to my right, and there's a whole article on the Patriots destroying the Jets. So when the Jets actually beat them in the playoffs that year... I ripped it off and celebrated that whole day. Were you the bigger person, or did you? Talk Hell trash? no! That was my <laughs> opportunity to get to to taunt a prof in high school, man. That was fun, I guess. But this isn't the Mark Sanchez show. I don't know. Wouldn't it feel just as satisfying to walk in there with just a big smile and not not say a word? I, you know, the, you know how Bart Scott starts off that interview by doing the whole little jet dance, you know, waving his arms like a sure. little jet. That's yeah. literally what I did. Now, I, I just, that's what say, I did to my prof. Today we're learning about, I don't know, whatever Canada did in its stupid history, and then you should just say, can't wait. I probably should have said can't wait, yeah. Funny enough, I think he was actually teaching us about American history that year. We had to learn about American history at one point. That's interesting. So, yeah, I, we had to learn about your stupid history. I, I, I've never had to learn about Canadian history. Yeah, There's very little I could tell you, and the entire half of my family on my mother's side is from Canada, Yeah, and I'm not sure they know it. Because <laughs> you guys are so occupied with yourselves. Because you're so infatuated. Dude, believe it or not, from Texas, you have to learn Texas history before you learn American history. What's Texas history? Come on, man. You can't, don't forget the Alamo and stuff like that. I don't know anything about the Alamo. I, if I tell you, don't forget Quebec history, if I tell you, hey, Samuel de Champlain, what are you going to say? It's funny because I actually, on our list of talking points in our Google Doc, we have Alouettes and then the Alamo. So we're, <laughs> we're right on schedule. Shout out the Alouettes, man. Shout out to to Mark Tressman. He uh, was a coordinator with the Baltimore Ravens. He's uh, back in the CFL with the head coach of the Bears. Yes, he was a hot second for a hot second. And now he's back coaching in the CFL where he belongs in Toronto. Um, Did you watch John Ross kill it at the NFL Combine running a 4-2-2? I did. Pretty impressive stuff. That was and it didn't even look like he was like trying that hard either. It was just so graceful. It was crazy. In Nike shoes. In Nike shoes. Yeah. And Adidas owes him an island. Isn't that well, the be, deal? No. If he was wearing Adidas shoes, uh, he would get the island. Oh, okay. You have to wear Adidas shoes to get it. I guess he didn't want an island. Well, if I'm Nike, I'm looking at that and I'm like, hey, you know what, Adidas? Uh, maybe maybe you spot John Ross the island? or I think they're going to sign him to some kind of sponsorship. Revis had an island. Now he's... A free agent. Can you stop taking shots at the Jets? Waiters has an island. I'm still waiting for them to replace the Car- Carmelo K. Anthony Center with Waiters Island. How's uh, one day, man? One day. How's Brock? How's Brock's block? I don't know. I, I tried something. 
yeah, we should cut that part out. Yeah, I don't think that's going to. Jer- Jeremy, you'll be sure to cut this part out of the podcast. Am I right? No? Fine. I don't know what Jeremy's doing. in the- Jeremy always does this thing where he tries to contribute uh, from the producer chair, and we can't ever hear what he's saying, but I think he tried to make pew-pew noises. We're, we're Jeremy, man. You know what we have to do? I think we need to get him a mic in the studio. You just have to just let him shoot his stuff in the studio. That's we got to make that a, we got to make that an executive order. Got to shoot your shot, man. Shoot your shot. Uh, speaking of shooters and uh, gunslingers, there's a rumor going around that Tony Romo could be involved in a trade, could be quarterbacking in Washington, and the Niners are involved. The report I saw today is cow or excuse me, Broncos and Texans are the two teams that keep keep coming up. Well, the Broncos have been around for quite some time, ever since uh, like the Dak Prescott renaissance was happening, and people were saying, oh, it looks as if Tony Romo wants his release. One of the first teams that were mentioned, in fact, were the Denver Broncos. That makes sense. Makes I mean, I know they, they didn't do that well last year, but they're still a playoff team in my mind. Makes a lot of sense. They still have good pieces of that defense that won top, them the championship. Top five defense in yards and points allowed. But the offensive line. I mean, here's my thing. Personally, it's not what it was personally, when Peyton was there. Personally, I don't trust Tony Romo behind any offensive line that isn't the Dallas Cowboys. Because Romo is so unpredictable as a quarterback where he'll just roll around the pocket and we've seen him get hurt in the last how many years. So if he doesn't have that ironclad protection in front of him, he's just going to... He's just going to suffer eventually. If it's not going to be in game one, it'll be by game eight. If it's not by then, by near the end of the season, Tony Romo's going to get hurt. And he's not 27. He's not 28. He's on the wrong side of 30. Tony Romo has played, quote-unquote, five games in the past two seasons. Granted, he could have come back earlier if Dak didn't completely just dethrone him. But he played in the Cowboys season finale for a drive. That's one of those games. And then the previous season he played in three, got hurt in their fourth. The four years before that, he missed just two games out of 48. Not bad. But in 2015, when he did get hurt, and Dallas, of course, went on to finish just miserably, Mm -hmm. it's not like he was having a phenomenal start to the season. In those three-plus games, he had five touchdowns and seven interceptions. I'm telling you, Tony Romo saw success because of the offensive line that was put there in front of him. But that's like 90. I think that's like at least 75%. I don't think that's true. I think in his prime, that was before they drafted three offensive linemen in a row. Tony, fine. You're, Tony, you know what it is, though? I think it's because of the fact that Tony Romo, fine, he can do as much as he can in the regular season or, regular season or even just in any game, and then in the fourth quarter he, he chokes. That being said, you are right. He does put up his stats. As a gunslinger, you know, he'll shoot his shot. It's it's funny because with Tony Romo, you have two camps pretty much. The camp that is predominantly Dallas fans who will defend him to the death, say oh, his God. December stats are actually so much better than what people claim them to be. Those guys are insufferable. And then there are people who think he is a flat-out choker, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I was in that second camp, and then once he got better and the offensive line played well in front of him, I was center. I'm, I'm in the center. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you that 
we're probably in one a couple of the few in the middle ground where I think he has had some very unfortunate times where he has choked. The extra point versus Seattle was Ch- one of them. Choke. And then versus the Redskins in week 17 versus RG3, winner takes a division. Four interceptions. Choke. Not acceptable. But I think... And there's a few other There's a few there other are others, ones as well. There are others. But Choke. I think just from a numbers standpoint, he has been a top 10 quarterback for the vast majority of his career. You think... Not of all time. I'm just saying within the league. top 10 quarterback. Within so, the league. So if you were to put him in a, like a... You know how we, we put quarterbacks in tiers? Sure. Where do you put Tony Romo? Do you put him in a top in a in a tier one, tier two? So we the thing is we don't we don't know tier three we don't know right now. Think about Peyton Manning when he sat out that entire season with a neck injury and then the Colts let him walk. Right? Yeah. He ended up going to Denver. Yeah. He wanted to go to Houston and they said no, thank you. We're happy with Matt Schaub and I'm cringing just thinking about I'm it. I'm so but, sorry. <laughs> but people think that. Romo's automatically going to be the same. Come back and have an MVP type season. And just because Peyton did it doesn't mean Romo is going to do it. Peyton has way more accolades than Romo, first of all. And second of all, the guy is injured. He's coming off a very serious injury. We like we just we don't I don't know where to put him because he's played barely five games in the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. So we just we don't know what he is. If I'm the Broncos or the Texans, I would take a flyer on him at the right cost. What, draft picks? No. I wouldn't trade anything for Romo. I would wait for him to get cut, and then I would sign him for as little as possible. Give him a chance to compete on a playoff team with a top-five defense. In either of those situations, which I think that holds true, does Tony I, Romo make less money than Mike Glennon this offseason? By pure <laughs> name standpoint, no. I don't think so. But, like, I heard rumors earlier this year of the Texans should trade J.J. Watt for Tony Romo, which is Are you absolutely... Serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? Whoever... To take on. To take a page from Stephen A's playbook, that is blasphemous. That is blasphemous. And not even because I'm goal. so opposed to trading J.J. Watt, because I think it's worth taking phone calls for the Texans, who had identical defensive outputs with and without him the past two seasons, now that you have J.D. Clowney. But I'm glad he's doing well, by the way. To trade him for a guy who can't even stay on the field, who got benched by a rookie? Come on. That's ridiculous. Would you have traded J.J. Watt for Dak Prescott after the year he had? (sighs) Dude, that's the thing. We don't know how good Dak is. First of all, a lot of these running quarterbacks struggle in their sophomore years when teams have more film on them. That's just the way it goes. Look at RG3. Look at Kaepernick. There are flashes in the pan, a lot of these running quarterbacks. And I don't think that's true for Dak Prescott, only because, like you already mentioned, that offensive line. Switch Prescott and Goff, like Dak was clearly the best rookie quarterback. If he was on the Rams this year, do you think he has an incredible season and vaults himself as one of the top quarterbacks in the league? No way. 
I agree with that. No way. I agree with that. It that was offensive play line calling in that offensive line. I think that makes a huge beast difference. of an offensive line. That's what made him good. So, no, I don't think I would make that trade either. Darren McFadden. That trade's obviously not on the table, so it's pretty oh, yeah. hypothetical. No, I'm telling you, that offensive line is, has worked wonders. Like, Darren McFadden was, was getting production behind that offensive line. Darren McFadden. Well, they couldn't even keep McFadden from injuring himself. He <laughs> dropped his cell phone and broke his arm, and that was that. Poor guy. Goodness. Uh... But uh, I think Tony Romo, to end off this point, I think he won't be a Dallas Cowboy uh, by the end of the free agent market, uh, whether it's through a trade, whether it's through him getting cut. I think Jerry Jones make that hard decision of finally cutting his boy, and he might cry doing it, but Tony Romo won't be in Dallas. He'll be gone. I don't know where, but he'll be gone. I think Jerry respects him enough to let him walk because – if he's got one or two good years left, he shouldn't waste it on the bench. Absolutely. Let's move it to the hardwood. We're not talking college. We already did enough of that. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, uh, they seem to be in a little bit of trouble. What about Kirk Cousins? Oh, Kirk Cousins. I forgot about Kirk Cousins. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. Um, so it makes more sense. Yeah, chronologically. I, I forgot. No, I completely skipped over that topic point. No worries. I was really excited to get to because you mentioned the tears, and now we got to go through them. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry to Kirk. Uh, but uh, the first rumor I heard about Tony Romo, funny enough, involved him going to Washington, and Kirk Cousins will be going to San Francisco. This is a guy who was just recently uh, given the franchise tag, and he let everyone know by tweeting, "Tag, I'm it." You know, most people would just let the news come out, but of course Kirk Cousins has to tweet about it and make a reference to the game tag. Uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, leaving Washington, I think would be a mistake. I'm not saying he's the god, uh, but I wouldn't like that if I were a Washington fan. He's brought you to the playoffs. Uh, He's put up decent stats. I think there's still room for him to grow as a quarterback and get at least a little better and make your team respectable. And if you keep players like... I mean, you might have to be in a situation where you have to keep either Pierre Garçon and or Deshaun Jackson, but if at least if you give him a target, Washington has a fighting chance in that division. You shouldn't let Cousins go. But if they do let him go to, to San Francisco or any other city, that is a mistake. My two cents on that. I mean, in terms of how good of a quarterback he is, you know, we, we were talking about tears. I guess I... I you you pre, you did some uh, some preliminary uh, some tiers and uh, you put some guys in some different spots. You put uh, Cousins as a tier three quarterback. Uh, I wanted him. You did, you originally didn't put Andy Dalton in that tier, and I think he should be a tier three quarterback as well. But I'd put I think him Kirk in. Cousins with a little peer peer pressure. I put him in. I think uh, Kirk Cousins is a tier three quarterback. Let me let me define the tiers because people are probably confused. Tier All six one. Of you. Tier one. I've got three guys. We're, we're, I'm calling it no doubt Hall of Famers are clearly elite, and that's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, obviously studs, and then the reigning MVP, Matt Ryan, who was a handoff away from winning a Super Bowl with a well-below-average defense. Tier 2, I'm calling stars that are never leaving their teams ever, and that's Drew Brees has a home in New Orleans, Cam Newton, obviously an MVP, Award winner a couple years ago. Russell Wilson, been to a few Super Bowls already. Big Ben, who is a no-doubt Hall of Famer, but is 
well past his prime, may not even return next season. So but why isn't he in tier one? I mean, by definition of the tiers, you have no doubt Hall Listen, of Famers. I just explained or it. Elite. I just explained it. Yeah, no, because hold on. Time Brady out. and no. Rodgers are still slinging it, and he's he's not. Then your tier one thing should say no doubt Hall of Famers and clearly elite, which unfortunately would send Matt Ryan down to tier two. But you can't have no doubt Hall of Famers or clearly elite and have Big Ben, who is no doubt a Hall of Famer, in tier two. Big Ben should be a tier one quarterback. By your definition of your tier system. It's Drew an, Brees should Im- also be It's an there. imperfect definition. Drew Brees should, is also a no doubt Hall of Famer. He's going to go down with like all these passing yards. All right, you know what year I'm in, do? year out, he may we will miss the playoffs, but he will find a way to pass almost 5,000, if not more than 5,000 passing yards a season. He's I'm, a tier. I'm By your the, definition, he is a tier one quarterback. I'm changing tier two to stars that are never leaving their teams ever or tier ones past their prime. It's still very, very, very... It's, it gets the point across. Let me let me finish. Fine. I also have Andrew Luck in that category. You, Matt Ryan doesn't I mean Matt Ryan has an MVP. And he had an outstanding year. Russell Wilson has a ring to Anyway, I'm, I'm anyway. Russell anyway. Wilson had a terrible year. He did have a terrible year, but he's also had some pretty good years as well. And he's not going anywhere. Which is the point I was trying to make. Fine. And then finally I have tier 3. These are guys with Patience and enough weapons, enough supporting cast, they can probably get you there. Philip Rivers, Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton, and that is where we've slotted Kirk Cousins. I think he's in the good enough category where you have to just buckle up and take your chances, ride it. Because, like I said, this position, the supply and demand is just not there. Where's Joe Flacco? Super Bowl champion Joe Flacco. At one point, he was in the. We looked at him as a guy who was great in the postseason. Dude, at one for one small second after he won that that Super Bowl, for one for at least a few minutes after that Super Bowl he won over San Francisco, there was debate about him being an elite quarterback. If you were to make an all-time NFL defense, the eleven best. Defenders in the history of the NFL, he might have had two guys on that defense. Okay, that's his defense. But what about Joe Flacco's performance to get to... I'm not talking about defense. I'm talking about his quarterbacking play. You want to talk about how Raheem Moore doesn't know how to play safety and let Jacoby Jones waltz into the end zone? That because Flacco belongs in this conversation? Absolutely not. I'm like I'm We've playing seen Flacco without that defense, and the Ravens have gone nowhere. They're an okay team. He's an okay quarterback, but he's not tier three. You th- you don't think if Joe Flacco with enough with enough weapons could at least be a solid tier three quarterback? I don't think he necessarily has that great of an offense in Baltimore. He had like Steve Smith at like at the tail end of his career. It's true. I you could make a case for him being in tier three. I just I think he's grossly overpaid. And the team went in a horrible direction when they could have maintained some of that. I can believe that championship defense. I can believe that. Sure. What about uh, any of the new guys? Like, see, this is the thing with the definition. I think you really should have thought more about the definitions you put because with patience and enough weapons, they can get you there. 
there's two guys who I think should be in this tier three by definition. Who else? Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. Too young. We don't we don't know yet. That, I mean, what do you mean you don't know yet? With patience and enough weapons, they can get you there. And Jameis Winston has Mike Evans. Maybe you, you give can't. him another target. Marcus Mariota had a pretty decent year. Maybe you give him another weapon outside of Delaney Walker. He can get you there. English. English. With patience and enough weapons, they can get you there. And I think by definition, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston belong in that tier. I don't know, Julian. I th- we just, English. We need I I need to see no, another year under their belt before I can make a an informed decision. On but it. you're ready to put Dak Prescott there in tier three with a really good offensive line and some good pieces in front of him. Sure, yeah. Because you're of, already sold because on Dak? The situ- because the situation he's in is already perfect. That's that's why. How can you leave Dak out when clearly they could have gotten there if Aaron Rodgers didn't make one of the most amazing plays we've ever seen out of the quarterbacking position? Absolutely. That was an amazing pass to Jared Cook. Amazing. Sublime. Perfect. The guy who's Manning in this? The guy's 13-4 and four in his career. Like, he, that, That's good enough for me. Okay. Last note on this before we, we do get back to the, uh, the basketball topic. Um, where's Eli Manning? I'm just trying to bring up all these different quarterbacks. Tier six, tier seven, tier six, tier seven. I am not a fan of Eli. I think he's one of the most overrated guys who happened to just play somehow good enough to win two Super Bowls against the greatest quarterback of our time, if not ever. Dude, you you can't define a legacy on two games. I don't think against the greatest you, quarterback. Two Dude. great games against the greatest quarterback of Dude, all time. You know the score was of each of those games? It's not like they were putting up huge numbers or anything. Those were defensive battles. Eli Manning is not a good quarterback. Oh, no. I'm not going to defend Eli Manning overall and say he's a great quarterback, but I'm willing to— The only to... consistency that guy has is he'll be in the top five in, in interceptions. I am willing in to put respect on his name for the two Super Bowl wins he got over Tom Brady, and I think the fact that he has OBJ as a target— he at least has a fighting chance at making the playoffs every year. OBJ, by the way, I will say this, that Eli Manning should kiss like OBJ's feet because if he did if not... If OBJ it, was not there, then he the would be trash. would not... He would be trash. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. But I'm not... I'm, Eli Manning's not a guy I'm going to fight for. I'm not a Giants fan. Um, oh, yeah, and who, I forgot Geno fi- Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick, tier one. My bad. Oh, no. no they're, they're, those guys... You want to talk about tier... You want to talk about tier six and tier seven? Those are two guys. Dude, there's only 32 teams in the league, and I think Geno Smith is in tier 34. Uh, he would be in a tier NA, a tier not applicable. Uh, let's talk about uh, a team that is in tier one of the NBA, uh, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, if I, they're not really in trouble, but there are teams in the Western Conference who are licking their chops at the number one uh, seed in the Western Conference. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs are one team. The, uh, the Houston uh, Rockets are another team as well. Uh, they have a chance. Why not? The Rockets aren't going to catch Warriors. Just not enough time left. Had this happened three weeks ago, still probably not, but they would at least be worth bringing up. But in this instance, it's between the Warriors and the Spurs. Kevin and- Durant is hurt. We, we, we didn't mention why okay. Golden State. We didn't mention Fair why enough. Golden State is in trouble. Uh, but Kevin Durant is hurt. Uh, Steph Curry hasn't necessarily been shooting the lights out the last few games. His shooting form over the last few has been uh, under 16%. 
uh, Steve Kerr had to, you know, talk to him on the bench one game and he say, you know, hey, carry on, my son. You can get through the shooting slump. Uh, is there a reason to believe that? I mean, I know you're thinking from the perspective of the Houston Rockets, and you don't think uh, that they have enough time to to catch up to Golden State. But maybe if you're San Antonio, is there a realistic chance to to take over that number one seed? You follow me on Twitter, Julian? Yeah. Do you Jake see what Lippen, I? Uh, Syr. Do you right? see what I tweet about once every two to three days? Um. There is a there's a hashtag I think you, you It's a hashtag. Uh Death Taxes Spurs. Death Taxes Spurs. Three things in this life that will never go away. They are inevitable. They cannot be escaped. The San Antonio Spurs are coming for the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. And if Steph Curry does not return to his unanimous MVP form, I think they're going to catch him. I really do. As of this recording, the Spurs are two and a half back of the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference. Just in case you... The last three games for each team, right? The Warriors are one and two. They lost to the Wizards in Washington, who are a good home team. Mm Mm-hmm. They lost at Chicago, who is not a great team, but somehow has won 18 in a row on TNT. But we we won't delve into that because Mm -hmm. that's just nonsense. Yes. And then yesterday in MSG, in a very close game, pulled it out because Steph was able to hit a few threes finally. Oh, and the New York Knicks uh, got back to doing all the in-game entertainment stuff and actually putting sound in the second half because... They, that threw off the Warriors in the first half, and Draymond Green was pissy about it. I that's, think that's ridiculous. That's a horrible excuse, and I actually horrible piss I really excuse. like the idea from MSG just for one half. Not a big deal. I think that's pretty cool yeah. to enjoy the sounds of the game at its purest state. I, I enjoyed that. That's fine. But listen to the Spurs' last three games. 97-90, they beat the Wolves in overtime. 101-98, they beat the Pelicans in overtime. 199, they beat the Pacers. You've got some close games. The, the Spurs are not playing well right now. They have been in close ball games with not-so-great teams. But guess what? They win those games. They were dead in the water in all of those games. They were down one to Indiana with Monte Ellis going to the line. He misses two free throws. Kawhi goes to the other end, hits the game winner. The Pelicans had it in the bag. And San Antonio goes off on a massive run in the final minute to tie it up and win it in overtime. Minnesota, up four with a minute left. Spurs force it to overtime, win by seven in the final five minutes. This team wins games. That's just what they do. It's what they've done for the past 15-plus years. And I think they're going to get it done. Win, so be the number one team in the Western Conference. I think so. Golden State. Purely regular season, when KD is not around, I think San Antonio will finish the season as the number one seed. The next question I want to ask about that, uh, and this will be the last question because we are running out of time. So if Golden State ends up in the number two seed, Golden State, actually, you know what? I'm just looking at the standings right now. And 
I mean, things could change. But if the Golden State Warriors were to fall out of number one right now, and let's just assume that seven and eight don't change, Golden State That's what the league wants. I know where you're Golden going with State this. gets a series with Oklahoma City. That's in the first round. That is what the NBA wants. And if Kevin Durant comes back healthy and Kevin Durant has to come back healthy for, for for that first round of that series. If this was a first round series against Denver, oh, he'll be there. If it was a first round series against Denver, I can see why they'll be like, all right, we'll we'll wait till like game three, game four to bring him back in. No, you you have a series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Kevin Durant is playing game one. He will be there. He will be there, and he in will, a basketball uniform, ready to go, wearing his KD shoes. He's playing. Russell Westbrook is there too. And guess what? What the words are blowing him out of the water. They're not even close. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I'm giving them the gentleman sweeps, gentleman sweep tag. I think that might be a four gamer just because of the emotion involved. I think Denver would have a better chance of winning a game against the Warriors than the Thunderwood just because that element isn't there to keep the Warriors extra focused, and because they know they're getting out of the first round, right? That's yeah. just—it's an inevitability. You were we've seen we've seen some crazy stuff happen, but I would I would be shocked if the Warriors even let two games slip in the first round. You were willing to give the New Orleans Pelicans the gentleman sweep if they were good enough to be the eighth seed. That was before we had seen them play. Now it's not even looking like they're going to get there. It's looking like they're going to get a top three pick, and Sacramento's just going to go die in a hole. That's what it's looking like. New Orleans record uh, since the DeMarcus Cousins trade, uh, two and four. They won last night versus the Lakers. That was the first win with Boogie because remember he was suspended for yes. the game that they won yes. previously. Uh, Sacramento's record since the DeMarcus Cousins trade, uh, one and four. <sighs> well, enjoy that top draft pick, New Orleans. That would just that would just be Sacramento's luck, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And that's going to do it for Episode 7 of the Face-Off Podcast. Jake Lapin, Julian McKenzie. Special thank you to Jeremy Joshua for producing the show. Special thank you to Sam Fortier of uh, the Daily Orange and the Ringer hopping on the show to talk ACC and uh, NCAA ball. Uh, keep it locked here for Episode 8. Uh, we are not going to be on. We'll, we'll figure that out for uh, the March break edition of this episode. We don't know if we'll skip or we don't know what we'll do with that yet. But... Uh, Keep it locked here. We will come up with a really good episode eight. Uh, we'll make it up to you guys. For Jake Lee, but I'm Julie McKenzie. This has been episode seven of the Face Off Podcast.